This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In part two of this talk on the challenges, demands, and grittiness of retreat practice, Reggie says that the way through is trust. Trust in disruptions, in uncertainty, and in anxiety. In the Vajrayana, difficult emotions are the life force on the journey of liberation. This talk was given at the 2016 Meditating with the Body Retreat, held at Buckfast Abbey in Devon, England. To find out about the upcoming Meditating with the Body Retreat, please visit dharmaocean.org. So, when things go to hell in a handbasket in the retreat situation, which more or less happens every retreat one way or the other, once I overcome my own resistance, I'm very, very comfortable with it, and, and I feel very held, and I feel we're being held. And when the wind rips through the tent, we're very, very held, and we are very close to what's true and what's real and what's sacred. Trung Rinpoche, so this is story number two. Trung Rinpoche, when he was young and studying with his teacher, John Kuntrell, uh, they would go into retreat, you know, with a few people. And there were occasions when they actually ran out of food. But John Kuntrell was not going to, he was not going to break the retreat, even though there was no food. And so they would get grass or just leafy plants, and they would boil them and eat them. And Trung Grimache said it was really unbelievable. And he felt, and this is just Trung Grimache talking, he felt that his teacher deliberately didn't bring enough food, and that his teacher deliberately put them in a situation of semi-starvation, and then refused to break the retreat. And he said that after the retreat, he looked back on it, and he realized that somehow some kind of surrender had happened, physical surrender to the cold, to the lack of food, to the feeling of starvation, to the weakness, to not being able to be comfortable at night. Somehow, that provided the framework within which John Kuntrell could give the teachings that he wanted to to his students. As a teacher, my, my way of looking at it, and you know this could be wrong because Trung Primache is not really in a place where I can ask him these questions. He's here, but he's not, you know, it's not like I can sit down and say, well, what do you think about this exactly? He tells me what he thinks, but I often don't get to control the conversation. What I think is that when you begin to do the kind of work we're doing, you work at this incredibly deep level with yourself and with your life, which is an act of bravery and also an act of tremendous compassion for other people that we're doing this work. I think the spirits come, and I think the lineage, departed lineage figures arrive, and they create a kind of symphony that uh, the job of the teacher is to see it, 
to trust it and to surrender to it and to go with it. So the role of the teacher is to be, you know, it's not to orchestrate things, but it's to be tuned in and tapped in to the magic that's unlocked when a group like us gets together and practices. And the challenge of the teacher, interestingly, is to actually trust what happens, really trust it. And a lot of things happen that initially you don't want to trust. You don't want to, especially when people, sometimes you have people who are not in very good shape and they start doing weird stuff in retreats. They start influencing other people and creating these subgroups and that, that kind of thing is very, you have to address everything that happens, but you also have to trust it and see it as a stepping stone. So this trust we talk about when you become teachers, and I understand there are quite a few people here that are interested in leading groups, meditation groups, wherever you may be, which is, would be wonderful. We'll talk about that probably Sunday morning. Trust is going to be the key point. So trust in our own individual situation as we talked about, is really important beyond any kind of judgment. Trust in the people we work with, trust in their own life. Meantime, yes, you trust, but you also trust what's happening with them and you take that as a, a given. And then trust in when you're you know, in a teaching situation, trusting that completely. And then the, the expectations are constantly being disrupted and thrown off course. When this happens, we have this kind of disruption. Anxiety is a natural response. And we've, in the groups I've been meeting with, there's been a lot of discussion of anxiety and people feeling really quite anxious. And when things happen, they feel more anxious. And then they feel anxious that they're feeling anxious. And they feel very judgmental that they're feeling anxious. But as we've been discussing, anxiety is the appropriate response of each one of us to the human situation. We become anxious for reasons that go back to the beginning of life. We don't know if stars feel anxious in mountains, they may, but we do know that all of life, beginning with one-celled animals, have their own version of anxiety. It's a recognition of the fragility of life and our precarious situation, even in the best of circumstances, so we do become very anxious, but we have to realize that the anxiety is notifying us that we can step into the anxiety, we can feel it in our body, and we can relax and open to what we're doing. So more we practice, more we invite the disruption of our expectations, the less we have a solid, secure, definable, protected view of ourselves or of our life. And the more that happens, the more groundless everything becomes. Everything becomes very flowing and fluid. And we're constantly dealing with anxiety because anxiety is what everybody's trying to avoid. But for us, anxiety is a stepping stone. Uh, Caroline told that story about the Dalai Lama, and what came through to me was the absolutely direct relationship that he had to his emotions, even sharpness and anger and whatever it may be. You know, we don't know. There's a uh, tradition in the Vajrayana or a way of speaking. What makes the Vajrayana distinctive as a contemplative tradition 
And this is a quote from a text called the Hevadra Tantra, which is an early Indian Tantra, a text that was brought to Tibet and became very, very important. And what the Hevadra Tantra says is the poison, human beings are surrounded by poison, and the poison that would kill ordinary people the tantric practitioner knows how to ingest and become more strong, more confident, and more beautiful. And the analogy is the peacock. The peacock in Indian lore is supposedly eats very poisonous plants, and the more poisonous plants they eat, the more beautiful their plumage, the more glorious their state of being. And what that, what is the poison? It's not literal poison, but it's the poison of negative emotions. In this tradition, as we have been talking this whole retreat, and as we talked through the whole five months and the first retreat, negative emotions, which most people fear, and most people simply want to control, for us become nourishment that feeds our deepest awareness, the health of our body and mind, and the, the glory of our experience of being humans, that very same poison that others fear and that others are poisoned by becomes for us the source of liberation. So you have unthinkingly, well, I don't know if it's unthinking, but somewhat by chance you have fallen into this very unusual, very profound, all-inclusive spiritual path. And it is challenging, it is daunting, and it does bring up a lot but however much body work we do and all of the things that it stirs up and brings to the surface, those very things, if we stay with them and stay in our bodies, become a source of deeper strength and deeper confidence. So we often say when you start practicing, further you go, more, the more energy comes up, which to the ego, energy looks like negative emotions. Negative emotions, by the way, are not actually negative. They're neutral, they're power, they're, they're the, the life force, but they're viewed by the ego as being very threatening. The ego doesn't like genuine, pure emotion. So all of that is stirred up, but you have to keep practicing because if you try to go back to your ego, having stirred all this stuff up, it's not going to work out you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to deal with it and not being able to, whereas the practice itself actually becomes, it stirs it up and then it becomes the way you process it and assimilate uh, it and touches a very deep place within us. So, yeah, I just wanted to uh, bring up all this about the uh, freezing cold this morning, isn't it? It was like, it was frost. That's like Fahrenheit, that's like below 32. I mean, what was it, 28 last night? And we're in a tent. <laughs> we're camping out. It's just like the old days.
To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.